0: Reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1
1: is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit, it's strong, and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced,
0: and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collard here, and joining me from Pro Football Focus is Sam Monson. What's up, Sam?
1: Doing good. How about you, Matt?
0: I am, you know, I'm all right. I'm I'm. I'm really interested in this Seattle game. I think I've said it a couple times on podcasts, but uh, it, the fact that the Vikings offense has shown up and been explosive in these last couple of weeks, and the Seahawks can't stop anyone, but also have an amazing offense. It's not too often a four and zero versus a one and three team could have you like really looking forward to next week as we record this very early in the week.
1: Yeah, I mean Justin Jefferson in particular, I think has transformed that Vikings offense back to what it was a year ago. You know, this was this was a pretty good offense that had a lot of functional pieces. You know, Dalvin Cook is obviously a fantastic running back. Um, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs were two of the better. 15 receivers in the NFL when those guys are all functioning Kirk Cousins can look like a high-end quarterback but you take one of those pieces out you remove Stephon Diggs you flip him for the pick and suddenly it doesn't look the same at all there's only one threat to worry about from a passing point of view for a defense and you're able to almost shut down everything else because of it Jefferson gives them back what they had with Stephon Diggs and the idea that he was going to be able to come in and replace exactly what they lost with Diggs in year one was kind of crazy. Like that, It's such a small landing stick for a rookie receiver to, to hit that level right out of the gate. But as soon as they gave him the opportunity to actually do that, to be the starter um, alongside Thielen, that's exactly what he's done. So now you do look like you have two offenses that can actually go head-to-head rather than just one which which is what makes it a game.
0: I mean, the, just Justin the Jefferson thing. Is there a way you can statistically contextualize what he's been able to do here through the four, first four weeks? Because I saw uh, our buddy Arif Hassan from The Athletic tweet out that over the last, I don't know what it is, five, seven years or something, the only guy in his first four games to rack up more yards than Justin Jefferson was Stephon Diggs in his (laughs) first four games. And think about, from Jefferson's perspective, they weren't even giving him the keys to the car over the first two weeks. They were putting him in the slot and only using him in certain situations. And the way he's taken off these last two weeks, I I think that when someone gets – 50, 60, 70 yards in a game, you say, okay, that's a nice breakout game for him. 175 and then 103 in back-to-back games. You don't just have regular schmoes doing things like that uh, against NFL defenses.
1: Right. Back-to-back games with a PFF grade above 90. He's He's got a grade for the season above 90. The highest other first-round rookie has a grade of 79. So he's <laughs> 10 clear grading points higher than anybody else he's averaging an insane uh, amount of you know yards per route run like he's been incredibly efficient they just literally didn't give him the shot to prove that he could do it for the first two weeks and that changed the entire offense because you know the, the player in that position clearly isn't capable of doing the same kinds of things so two weeks worth of justin jefferson obviously it's still an incredibly small sample size but everything we've seen from him has been fantastic
0: And there's so many things about his game that I think are repeatable from a week-to-week basis. When you can get yards after catch like he does, contested catches I know can be a little wonky from year to year. But that is a skill when you can moss somebody or when you can make a, a difficult back shoulder catch that you have to adjust to. And the fact that he and Cousins are just developing their chemistry is really something here. And it's all starting to click together. But tell me this. How much does an offensive line statistically limit what great playmakers can do? Because the interior of the Vikings' offensive line, still not any better than it's ever been when Kirk Cousins has been here.
1: Yeah, having said that, they had a great game this past week against the Texans, largely because outside of J.J. Watt, the Texans just don't have any defensive linemen that you can be concerned about. But the offensive line is is interesting because it's – The more um, we kind of do this, the more you think of it as this sort of symbiotic relationship between the other pieces of the passing game and the run game and the offensive line. And I think really the key is, you know, if you're not going to have five all pros, which is obviously what everyone would love love to have, if you can get five average guys, that's what you're looking for. You just want to be, you want to eliminate the weak link across the board so that your offensive line is never the problem. It's never the reason that you can't get anything done. And outside of that, if you have five average guys and your quarterback is still burying himself under pressure every single game, the problem is not with the offensive line, it's with the quarterback and it's with the passing game and it's with the other aspects. I think the Vikings are closing in on having a line that has five average guys on it. And at that point, that's what makes the offense functional. Suddenly Dalvin Cook looks like a phenomenal running back again. The passing game works when you have five guys. It's never going to look great, and you're going to have those plays where Kirk Cousins, you know, holds onto it for a little while, and then the second he takes his eyes off downfield, you know the play's over. Like, it's it's dead. He's flinching. He's turtling up. Forget it. It's a sack. Um, but, yeah, it's not a strength, and it probably won't be at any point. They don't appear to be – good enough uh, talent evaluators when it comes to offensive line play, to be honest, to the, for them to get much better than five average guys. But I think they are closing in on that, that goal of just getting five guys that are not a weak link and not going to be the reason the offense falls apart.
0: I think if they replace the current right guard with someone else, uh, I'm not yeah. saying for sure Pat Elfline, but uh, even Drew is making Pat Elfline look good. And he was one of the worst pass blockers in the NFL last year, but I mean, I've thrown out there, I don't know, Brett Jones or sign someone or something. If you win this game against Seattle somehow you need to do something there to say we're serious about winning going forward to make some sort of move or some sort of change because this whole, well, we're just going to develop them and see how it works out is blowing up in their face right now. And you can totally see how opposing teams are even switching, how they attack the front line of the Vikings to just go after this guy who is completely uh, inept. So I wonder if we will get a change there after they get a win and maybe start feeling like, you know what, maybe this doesn't have to be a pure developmental season or is that just too much to say at this point since it was the texans and they did fire their coach
1: <laughs> this is true um, but also again it's it's how much offensive line how, how bad should you expect an offensive lineman to be while you're developing it you know like there's the new england patriots are getting plus play out of a six-round rookie um uh, michael uh, you know a uh, uh, when who on the offensive line so it's not it's not unheard of. It doesn't mean that just because this guy was was not a high-round draft pick was somebody that you expect to be a, a future performer, that he's going to be a disaster. You can get viable offensive line play. And More to the point, there's a line at which, if you're still not getting it, it's probably not a developmental path that's going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a dead end, or it's a cul-de-sac It's just not happening. And as I say, this team just does not have a great track record at Picking offensive linemen, whether it's in the draft, whether it's throwing money at free agents, they haven't been good at this. So um, try and identify a guy that is viable. And if it's not him, you know, even if it's familiarity that that leads you there, a guy like Josh Klein is still uh, kicking around and can be viable. Like just find five guys that are not going to be the reason your plays are getting blown up, whether it's run or pass game.
0: And another part of their track record is sticking with these guys for too long. I mean, that's like the Pat Elfline story is he's still playing on the team. T.J. Clemming started for two straight seasons on this team. Like, how does that happen? And uh, I feel like they'll do the same thing with this, where they'll just stick with it and stick with it and talk about how it's going to get better, and then it doesn't, because there is a threshold where you say – that's That guy has so much to work on that I'm not sure how you could do that in the midst of a season. Now, I want your opinion, and then I want to talk about, um, you know, some things we expected, things we didn't expect for this season. But your opinion on why scoring is so rampant in the NFL. Is it that a lot of quarterbacks are healthy and playing really, really well? Is it that there was no preseason, which I'm not sure I buy? Is it that they're not calling holding penalties? Is it everyone stealing Kyle Shanahan's stuff? Like, what is the reason <laughs> that offenses are going so crazy this year?
1: Yeah, I'd love to to act, to use this as a way to prove myself right, because heading into the season, I was big on this idea that no, no preseason was going to lead to a lot of the scoring, because – defenses are the thing that requires getting on the same page more, right? Like if a lot of guys can be on different pages on offense, but if the quarterback and the wide receiver are on the same one, you can connect on a 70-yard touchdown, and it didn't matter that five guys had no idea what they were doing on the play. Um, But if one guy is out of place on defense, if one guy didn't get the memo that the coverage shifted or the check at the line or um, is in the wrong place in terms of run fit, that's a gap that's exposed, and that can be the 75-yard touchdown going the other way. So you can, I thought that, that the lack of preseason would hurt defenses in that way. But I'm with you. I don't think that's actually the reason for it, as much as it, it fits the narrative. And I think, as is the case with all these types of questions, the answer is a little from a bunch of columns. There's definitely an insane level of quarterback play going on right now. Russell Wilson is playing out of his mind the way he's done for the past couple of seasons, but the Seahawks are finally buying into it and letting him – uh, play to that level Aaron Rodgers is back to 2011 MVP Aaron Rodgers levels which we haven't seen for years now um, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen has become a, an all pro caliber player from nowhere like the, the, the standard of quarterback play in the NFL right now is kind of crazy at the top um, and it's being held out by the fact that yeah they're not calling holding as much so one of the things that would kill drives more than anything was those 10-yard holding penalties that puts you way behind the chains, there's way less of those this year. So offenses have a better shot of continuing those drives and the quarterbacks making special plays. So I think it's a few different things all playing uh, together at the same time.
0: I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And uh, that could result in a lot of fun for us with, you know, Kirk Cousins, a quarterback. If uh, your offensive line can hold a little and give him some more time, maybe they should start doing that more often. Um, But, you know, he can put up big numbers, and they have the playmakers to do it. And even if they're giving up a lot of points, uh, I don't think this is a Super Bowl team, so at least it can have a lot of entertainment value. And when you look forward, Atlanta's offense is generally pretty good. Dallas's is really good. You have Detroit's, which can put up points, and none of those teams really have defenses. So I, th- I think that there's a lot of exciting games here potentially for the Vikings, because I don't know about you. I don't know how excited you were about that Texans win. I'm not ready to say everything's fixed, uh, you know, off you go to winning the NFC North. I- I'm more along the lines of this is going to be a developmental season in a lot of ways for the Vikings, but it could also be really entertaining.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think you-, you definitely shouldn't get carried away by a win against the Texans. One, one, the Texans are really not a good football team. So winning that game was not necessarily um, anything in your favor anyway. Two, they almost didn't. I mean, right at the end, it came down to basically your interpretation of whether a ball moved or not for a touchdown that the Texans were scoring and about to take the lead on. Now, the the difference of whether they you decided they lost control on the ground or not is a difference between winning or losing that game. Um, I will, you know, with the caveat that I think things were going a lot better before – Harrison Smith got ejected Mm -hmm. and the Texans were able to go after George Iloka in his stead, but it was a better performance by the Vikings, but I don't think it papered over all of the ills from the first few weeks. Like this is still a team with some significant problems, particularly on defense, but you're right. It is uh, shaping up for the next few weeks to have all kinds of like crazy shootouts, because I think the offense did get back on track in a way that, uh, in a way that didn't look like it was possible. The first couple of weeks that the um, installation of Justin Jefferson in that starting lineup, I think, has had a genuinely transformative effect on the offense.
0: It's also that this is Kirk Cousins for you. Like Kirk Cousins, the worst that he looks is never anywhere close to his norm and the best that he looks is never anywhere close to his norm. And so against Tennessee, he's absolutely fantastic and he's good against Houston as well, but then against Green Bay and Indianapolis, he looks like a backup quarterback and this is this is the Kirk Coaster that we did an episode on, you know, the NFC North quarterbacks and we talked about like the lows of Kirk Cousins will make you feel so bad watching him that everyone was you know tweeting and I wrote about it tweeting their tank for Trevor memes and everything else after two weeks and my thing was I think your quarterback's too good for that but when he's playing yeah. in the bad Kirk mode it's hard to even see like how will this guy even ever play well again and then whoop right back up with two great performances
1: yeah absolutely I mean he's way too good for this team to have a shot at Trevor Lawrence in the number one overall pick there's just no way like you're gonna get two or three games a year where Kirk Cousins goes out there and plays like high-end Kirk Cousins and deals the ball left, right, and center, and you're going to win a couple of games that you weren't expecting. Um, And that was even with the rest of the offense in bad shape. Now the rest of the offense is actually looking in, in reasonable position, and Cousins can be good, not great, and still win games, at which point you're destined for a season that at worst is going to be, you know, six, seven wins, and that doesn't do you any good when you're chasing uh, Trevor Lawrence at the number one overall pick. So, yeah, like Cousins is what he is. I don't think that's honestly ever changed. I think the the end result or the sort of bottom number in terms of where he ends up might change a little bit, but this is who he is. He's wildly susceptible to fluctuations in performance and also wildly susceptible to influence by the supporting cast around him and the opposition he's playing. Like, he's a quarterback that's more – determined by the outside influence of people around him than most so you're going to get games where he looks like a disaster because nobody else shows up either and then you're going to get games where he looks like superman because it's a perfect optimal situation for a quarterback
0: And the uh, schedule, too, is another thing that I have discovered uh, throughout my time covering Cousins makes a big deal. First two weeks play two good teams, and he's not good. And then you play two not good teams on defense, and he lights them up. And if you just picked games, this is for the betting community, uh, for your guys on the Forecast podcast, pick games where just rank the defenses. If if they're a top 10 defense, (laughs) he will lose. If they're a bottom 10 defense, he will win. I mean, it's just like you could write it in pen and some Somebody brought this up of the sort of irony of the tank for Trevor thing is that next year, if they finish, say, second to last or last in the division, they'll get the last place schedule. Cousins will play well against the last place schedule. They'll extend him again to lower that cap hit, and you'll have Kirk Cousins for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that honestly is the danger of a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. He was was brought in effectively to be – the missing piece of a puzzle of a championship roster, right? You believe that this team is capable of winning a Super Bowl, but there were going to be games out there against, you know, the Eagles or whatever when things go badly and you need a quarterback that can execute a double-digit comeback. And the idea was Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum, those guys are not that quarterback. No matter what happened, no matter how good the roster is, if you get in a hole and need a quarterback to start slinging the ball around, those guys are just not going to get it done. Cousins might not always, but he's at least capable of doing it, and that was the, the logic. So you bring him in, but the problem is it costs you so much to get him that you can't maintain that roster anymore, and the worse the roster is, the worse he's going to look. So it's this weird self-perpetuating problem where the more you're stuck with him, the worse it ends up being, and the, le- the less good he looks – To the point where it bounces back because you start getting the benefits of being bad. You know, better draft position, um, being able to play worse schedules, and then, then he bounces back because he is dependent on the situation. And he will forever be too good to finish with two wins or one win, which is sort
0: of the – like the people who want to get out from under him uh, want a better quarterback, but your quarterback ironically is too good to get you the better quarterback. So sort of funny little brain thing there.
1: That's the problem that the Jags are dealing with right now with Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew might not be good, but he's too good to get you Trevor Lawrence, even with a terrible roster. I mean, they they almost – assemble a roster that was designed to tank for Trevor Lawrence. But the one thing they didn't address was quarterback. And, and Minshew might not be any better than that, but he appears to be too good to, to get you that number one overall pick. He's Again, he's going to win a couple of games where he shows up in a way that he isn't supposed to and leave you essentially just out of the grasp of the quarterback you want to replace him.
0: What is Curtis Painter doing these days? That's who
1: you need. <laughs> Curtis Painter. There aren't any anymore. No, they really aren't on. We were, I mean, you don't have to go back that far where you could find the bottom couple of quarterbacks that were starting in the NFL were awful. And anybody that was a backup was a disaster, like a complete train wreck. And if you had to turn to that guy, you could just chalk up losses. Forget about winning games. Like you were not winning. So yeah, the, the league used to be full of those guys. Now it's actually, the standard is so much better. You've got viable starting quarterbacks that are people's backups. Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, these guys are seen as, you know, disasters now because they kind of washed out of, of their original team. But those guys can start games and be fine in a way that a Curtis Painter or a Jim Sorgi <laughs> or, you know, whoever, like those guys that were just career backups that could not play, those guys could never do that.
0: It, it is really interesting how the level of quarterback play in terms of the low of it. I think the high is still the same. It's like the best guys are still the best, but the lowest and the median is probably much higher. I mean, even if you go back and play video games in the early mid nineties or even two thousands, I mean, half the teams have quarterbacks that are unplayable. So what you do is you pick those teams and then you get Seneca Wallace and then you run for <laughs> 2000 yards with Seneca Wallace. That's how you used to do it. But you're totally right that like uh, I don't know, I mean, how many teams even went into this season with quarterbacks they weren't really sold on in some way? Either they drafted them high, or they were young and exciting, or they were old and really awesome, or in the middle with Cousins and, and Matt Stafford.
1: Yeah, and I think that changes the whole dynamic of the draft and what you're chasing for and how long you give these guys, because you're not in a situation anymore where you kind of have to give a first round rookie an endless amount of chances because if you if you finally admit that you made a mess of of that pick and you're stuck with that guy you're screwed right because the alternative is a landscape of curtis painters or Hmm. wait until you get the shot at the next guy but that's not the case anymore like if if washington decides that you know what haskin or the jets even better example they're right darnold is not going to be the guy fine move on let's he he might end up being the guy somewhere else but we can take a shot at a trevor lawrence and not be concerned about what happens if we miss um and the same with washington like they can dump skins safe in the knowledge that even if he pans out somewhere else we can get that level of play anywhere like we can draft the next guy and he's not gonna be any worse than that we can it doesn't even have to be in the first round we can draft um just any random quarterback when I mean, we saw Brett Rippon went out there and played you know made some throws now he made some terrible decisions as well but ultimately is Brett Rippon any worse for you than a Dwayne Haskins right now and the answer is probably no at which point just keep swinging until you find the Trevor Lawrence the the transcendent talent that changes everything
0: It uh, it took kind of one team to do it I think maybe to give other teams' confidence with the fact that, you know, the Arizona Cardinals moved on from Josh Rosen. And now I think that will be the example. If you're Washington, you look at it and say, well, you know, they did the same thing and now we need to take, you know, one of these top guys because Haskins isn't going to work out. Although the Giants, as long as they stick with Dave Gettleman, they would be the one team crazy enough to pass on Trevor Lawrence because they say Daniel Jones is fine or something and they'll draft an offensive lineman instead. Um,
1: I could absolutely see that happening. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who would be surprised by anything they do? Although in, on the firing list that's going to start racking up here, I mean, he's got to be close. So I wanted to talk about a couple things that I am surprised by and also not surprised by so far in the NFL. I want to begin with Kevin Stefanski. Uh, his offensive line is good. His offense is good outside of the first week, but they played Baltimore, and that was tough. He gets a, a really big win against the Dallas Cowboys, and I am not surprised at all, Sam, that Kevin Stefanski is off to a very good start for the Cleveland Browns. Are you?
1: No, I think that made sense. We, I mean, all the way through the preseason that wasn't, we were talking about how um, this made sense, right? They Everything the Browns did this offseason had a clear strategy to fix the problems from a year ago. You bring in a system that has a proven track record as opposed to whatever system was being sketched out on the back of a napkin during (laughs) last season. Um, You bring in actual offensive linemen that you know will be viable uh, blockers up front because the alternative last year was, you know, Greg Robinson, et cetera. You took a little bit of a gamble by drafting a guy in the first round and expecting him to be good, but he has been so far. Jedrick Wills has held up well. The rest of that offensive line has been on fire, so that's all fixed. The running backs were already great. You already had Odell Beckham in place. All you needed was was those other things to come together. The only thing that surprised me is that with everything sort of firing on all cylinders the way it has been, I would have expected Baker Mayfield to look a little bit better than he has. He's been good, and he's been better. And since week one, it's been obviously a massive turnaround. But if you told me that the rest of uh, the situation around him was going to be as good as it has in the last three weeks, I would have expected Mayfield to be be looking like a top five quarterback. And he isn't right now.
0: Baker Keenum, maybe a little bit of... What he looks like now, I mean, I would have expected too, from the very start when he was drafted. this is a guy who's gonna put up huge numbers, but his circumstances weren't always great in those first couple of years. Freddie Kitchens was a laughing stock last year um but I also watch Baker Mayfield, and I think. Well, he misses some things that are just there for him. And either he doesn't pull the trigger or doesn't make the throw or takes the sack or does the wrong thing. It's kind of like he has in a way a backup quarterback kind of look to him when you need the rest of the supporting cast and the running game, in the offensive line and the defense all to help you. And you're not really elevating them.
1: Yeah, I think he's better than that, but I'm starting to get kind of Kirk Cousins vibes from mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield in terms of there's just something missing to what he's doing. He's, shown that he can be accurate again. He's shown that he can actually hang in a pocket, and he's not going to try and escape every clean pocket that's there. Um, And he's shown that he can, like, work within the structure of that offensive system. But it it just doesn't feel as um, composed and as assured as, you know, the best quarterbacks in the NFL and the guys that thrive within that system. It feels a little bit like Kirk Cousins, where you're kind of permanently waiting for the wheels to fall off, no matter how good it's going.
0: And I think uh, from a Stefanski perspective, um, the run game being great for them is not surprising because I think he cares a lot about scheming to the run. And having seen, like, Shanahan succeed with it, Stefanski succeed with it, Pat Shermer here, uh, Gary Kubiak, and then what Houston was trying to do last week is like, oh, that's what happens when you don't even try to scheme the run, when you just run the same handoff in shotgun up the middle over and over and over, and the other team can easily stop it. Like, I think that the smartest teams and the smartest coaches are now using the run game and playing it off the pass brilliantly for big plays down the field, but getting really creative with the way they run the ball to get big chunks of yards all the time, easy yards that take a lot of pressure off of their quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, and, you know, running the ball is not an inherently bad thing. I know if you listen to some guys that are trying to – preach the pass and preach how valuable the passing game is and all those kinds of things. A lot of the time it makes it sound like you should just never run the ball, but it's part of the game and it's, it's a facet that can be effective. And like right now the Browns have three different running backs averaging more than five and a half yards to carry. Like when you're having that kind of production on the ground, running the ball is valuable, particularly when your passing game isn't necessarily firing in all cylinders and it's only going to help the passing game be more efficient if you're that efficient on the ground. So I think the Browns and particularly in this offense, it is all built together. It, it is all uh, designed to function as one um, that whole tree, whether it's Kubiak, whether it's the Shanahan's and the, the, that branch and whether it's McVeigh and his, the whole thing is, is kind of designed as one whole to, to maximize how you stress a defense um, and cause them problems and delays in terms of what they're reading. So it's a, an important part of, of that offense. Uh, plus, I think it makes these guys more comfortable in terms of dialing up play action, which we know works independently. But if the run game is what gives them the confidence to do that, then the run game being successful is useful if just because they'll ramp up their use of play action.
0: And it just gives linebackers so many different looks. If you're telling them they have to focus on all these different things and then there's play action mixed in, I think you see the impact of that. And I'm almost kind of looking at it as how well you marry the run in the past says a lot about you as a coach, like how dialed in you are to 2020. Um, thing that uh, has surprised me, Xavier Rhodes is one of PFF's best cornerbacks in the league. What? Explain this, Sam Monson.
1: Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Um, I will say that it helps when you play Sam Darnold and he's just throwing the ball at you rather than receivers. Um, so that he's, he's got that going for him. But, no, he looks different. I mean, he looks healthy again, I think, which is probably the big thing. But he he's out there playing in a defense that I think is a, a very um, – it puts defenders, specific defenders, in a good position to succeed. He has had a relatively easy go of it in terms of – um, opposition and, and who has been testing him, but he's played well and that's definitely a bounce back that we didn't see coming. I mean, he gave up a catch on 80% of the passes thrown his way last season. That's an insane number for cornerback. I mean, quarterbacks complete 65% of their passes, 70 if they're doing well. Um, to be giving up 80% as, in theory, a number one cornerback is just nuts, but his numbers this year have been completely different, even outside of the uh, the interceptions
0: for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And I have a couple of different theories on that, that, but the first one is that he was playing hurt all of last year, and they would not let him have a break, or that he didn't give himself a break. I don't know. I don't know the behind the scenes how that works. I do know the Vikings have a tendency to get guys back out there, or when you're limited in practice that week, it usually means that you're playing, and Rhodes was hurt from minicamp on, and the biggest thing that opposing teams did to him is they would run a 10-yard hitch over and over and over again, just like these comeback routes that he could not plant and drive forward. I think he had foot issues, but no one ever comes out and says, hey, the guy has foot issues and that's why he's struggling. And also, Mike Zimmer did not reduce the load on him until the end of the season. And I guess he just thought that Rhodes would figure it out and work around some of these things Um, because I was asking a Colts reporter like has he said anything about the injuries from last year apparently he hasn't but I I think that that might have been it not that if he was still playing for the Vikings we'd expect him to be an all pro but he probably would have been better than what they've had so far not saying it was wrong to move on from him of course the numbers the salary cap hit they all screamed you got to move on from Rhodes it's just fascinating to see somebody go from literally the worst player at that position in the league to all of a sudden in really good shape
1: yeah I mean it's it's definitely a a jump that we didn't see coming but it makes you wonder how much this is sort of one of the things constantly throughout the NFL like how many guys are playing through something and, and well typically what you hear is that everybody's playing through something at some point in the season right late in the year everybody's banged up in some way shape or form the only question is what and how severe is it so you know, Xavier Rhodes is probably no different to everybody else in terms of battling through something. The question is how severe was the thing he was battling through and should he have been battling through it at all? And mm-hmm. the the big question is the one you raised is was, it, was that the team or was that him? Um, because sometimes I think both sides need to realize that, look, in theory this guy is way more talented than the guy that's – Uh, behind him on the depth chart. But if the guy behind him on the depth chart is 95% healthy and he's like 55% healthy, it's probably worth putting the backup in even if he's a worse player.
0: Yeah. And I think that that was the case last year and they didn't do it till the very end of the season. But then the backup got hurt going into the playoffs and that turned out to be at times not so great. Uh, so how about on your end, Sam? What do you got for what's uh, been the thing that did not surprise you? You predicted it all along. And the thing that did surprise you so far in the first quarter of the season?
1: I mean, the biggest surprise has to be the leap that Josh Allen has taken for the Bills. Um, you know, that Bills fans, fans generally trade in hope, right? So if you have a Josh Allen and you get the huge cannon and you get those highlight reel plays of him, you know, dragging defenders a few yards for a first down and all those kinds of things, you immediately buy in. Like this is the hope that you've been waiting for that wasn't there before he arrived. And with everything else moving in the right direction, only more reason to be excited. But obviously – you know, PFF is is grading. We're we're watching. We're evaluating independently all these players. And as much as yeah, there's some good things there for the past two years. The overall baseline wasn't great, and as he was maybe taking small steps forward, but they were very small and they were incremental. And you know, projecting that kind of arc forwards, it's still a number of years before you get to you know the kind of player that you that the fans would believe he already was. So for him to go from that to what we're seeing for the first four weeks, which is like legitimate all pro level play. Um, Still making the incredible high end plays is hitting more of them because he's connecting on the deep balls that he was missing last year. Isn't making as many mistakes as he was making. And then everything else around him is as good, if not better than it was before, because all of a sudden you've got Stefan Diggs, you've got Gabriel Davis adding to that receiving core as well. Like, I just, I don't think that anybody, who was sort of rationally evaluating what we had seen from Josh Allen could have projected this level of jump. So here's
0: or my should theory. Should have
1: projected this level of jump.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the league last year. Here's my theory on this. My theory on Allen is that with quarterbacks like him, you get one. Chance you get one season where the guy is going to be great, and if you uh, can maximize that, you go to the Super Bowl. And I'll give you a bunch of examples. I mean, Carson Wentz is a good one. Like I think there's some similarities there. And Carson Wentz has the MVP level season. Of course, he goes down. Nick Foles takes him to the Super Bowl, but they had home field advantage because Carson Wentz plays MVP level. Then their team falls apart after that. Jared Goff plays MVP level. Number one, number two defense. Then their offense falls off after that because it's hard to maintain these things with a perfect supporting cast. And you could even say it for Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Like these are flawed quarterbacks that have enough talent and with the right things around them and the right system and everything else, but it usually doesn't last. So, I mean, in a way, if you're looking over at Kansas City, you're going, well, I don't know if they can beat Kansas City. That would be some kind of accomplishment. And by the way, their early schedule, Jets – Dolphins, Raiders, like it hasn't exactly been really impressive what they've had to go against. But I think that you can see these peaks. I'll use Case Keenum as an example, too. Case Keenum, I think, was seventh in PFF grade in 2017. Like when guys have these fundamental flaws, it doesn't last, but they certainly can't have these peaks for full seasons.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, the the one that might make as, as much sense as anything was Cam Newton you know, 2015 Cam Newton's MVP season, that's his ceiling. That's the season we haven't really seen from him outside of that. Now, he's been good for a lot of his career, but he's never been anywhere near that year before or since. Um, And, again, a lot of the times the numbers look significantly better than the PFF grade when you're tabulating all this stuff up play by play. Um, And also his highlight reel was always more impressive because you had the incredible running plays. You have the fact that he just looks – twice the size of anybody trying to stop him on a field and you've got the huge arm and the the big plays down the field so he always I think looked and had a better reputation than his actual play deserved but that 2015 season was an example of what happens when it all comes together for one year maybe that's what we're seeing from Josh Allen now Um, but I also do think that there's you know there's a there's a chance that all the the optimistic way of looking at everything in terms of his backstory is actually fair right the idea that he was playing with all these garbage men in Wyoming. He didn't have an offense that was particularly sophisticated or helping him out. It was almost like that system was just designed around making his arm look good, right? We're on the left hash. Well, then you're going to throw a 15-yard out to the right hash. You'll look great. Don't worry. It'll be fine. I'll never expect it. Um, so it's possible that like all these things are actually true and that, yes, he – didn't He wasn't accurate in college or in his first couple of years in the NFL. But on the other hand, he'd never really had his mechanics worked on to a, a serious degree. And once we actually start to address his footwork and all these kinds of things, we see a much more accurate player. Then we give him the receiving core he never had. Like it's, there is a scenario you can paint whereby this is Josh Allen's fair and honest growth curve. And he actually does have the potential of a top 10 draft pick and a you know, a guy with that kind of crazy athletic talent. I'm not yet willing to write that off as a possibility, but I think you're right that there's also a pretty good chance that we are just seeing peak Josh Allen right now, and that's not the guy that will be there forevermore.
0: So I also think, too, that you and I know as well as anybody, Stephon Diggs, kingmaker. Everyone who throws to Stephon Diggs is great at football all of a sudden, and then uh, it's hard to replace that when he leaves, unless you get lucky with Justin Jefferson. Um, so, okay, last thing, pat yourself on the back for something. What were you saying all offseason? And then, boom, here it is. It's played out just the way that you said it on your podcast with Steve Palazzolo. Uh,
1: let me think. What was the big offseason thing? Ah, um, uh, da-da-da. I don't actually have a particularly good I'm – not, I'm not resoundingly successful in any of these yet, I don't think. I, I can think of a lot of things that we didn't necessarily see coming. Um, I'm struggling to think of one that we nailed as a preseason prediction. I did call the Seahawks winning that division, but even when I was doing it, it was more of a case of, hey, look, every year preseason, there's a few – There's a few teams that like this, there's surprises, right? So if you're going to pick a surprise, that feels like a pretty good place to pick one. They have a great quarterback in Russell Wilson. That's the the single biggest piece of any puzzle. So let's, let's jump for the Seahawks. But I didn't see them being as crazy dominant as they've been so far. So I think that's as close as I can get to taking a victory lap on anything.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if I have one either. I mean, Cam Newton being good, I wish he had played last night because that would have been one hell of a game if he had played um, against a Chiefs team that didn't do much in the first half. So that would have been a fun game. But obviously, you know, Brian Hoyer getting benched was not a highlight of my life. But, uh, you know, maybe the one that I was super wrong about is Dallas. I thought they would just be better. But the one that I just every time we talked about the Detroit Lions, it's like, I will not go there with the Detroit Lions being good until Matt Patricia is in the ground. Like, as long as that guy is the head coach of their team, I cannot see them ever being good. And he is absolutely next for Bill O'Brien to get fired. Him and Dan Quinn, for sure.
1: I can buy that. There was a lot of people that were high on the Lions as a potential dark horse for that division. And I think I wrote this up just before the season that, look, a huge amount of this is based off what Matt Stafford looked like in 2019 before he got hurt. Right. And there's a bunch of numbers in that data set that says that is not happening again. Those were massive outlier numbers. Like he had the highest average depth of target, not just in the NFL, but like the highest we've ever seen. If if that had lasted for the full season, I think it would have been the single highest average depth of target that we've ever me- measured and he was playing at that level, you know, the the efficiency despite that average depth of target would have been unprecedented. So to expect that to happen two years in a row is probably optimistic. And we're seeing exactly that Stafford has come back down to earth. He's not playing the way he did last year. Consequently, the lions aren't the threat they were a year ago. Sam Monson, pro football focus.
0: People know where to find you. PFF, the underscore Sam, they know you. So uh great stuff, man. It's always really fun to catch up and kick things around. And I hope we can do it again soon.
1: Sounds good. Take it easy.
0: Okay. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage. Of all the great sign of bonuses, don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.